This morning we're going to be uh, speaking about vision. But first of all, I wanted to give you an update on the progress of the churches that we're building in India in honor of Frank and Susan. As you may recall, we have raised nearly $16,000 to construct churches for pastors connected to our sister church in India called Harvest India. This was our gift to Frank and Susan for their 24 years of faithful service to BCC. As you see from the, uh, the pictures, the churches are well underway. It looks at this point like we are actually going to be able to build four churches with the funds that have been raised. Frank and Susan wanted me to pass along their awe and their thankfulness for our generosity and love as they pursue what the Lord has set before them in the next phase of their lives. Frank had shared many times that there is no retirement from our biblical mandate to make disciples, and that we need to honor the Lord in all things, especially in our obedience to his calling on our lives. It's in his spirit that we want to offer our congratulations and our most heartfelt prayers to Frank and Susan, as Frank has accepted a position with the Halia Thorpe Community Church outside of Baltimore, Maryland. We trust that Halia Thorpe will certainly be blessed by Frank, as we know that the Lord has blessed us with so much as we prepare for a new lead pastor here at BCC. Please join us in praying for Frank and Susan, as well as our brothers and sisters in Halliathorpe, as they engage in that new role. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for Frank and Susan's faithful service unto BCC, and now for their faithful service unto Halliathorpe. I ask for a great blessing upon our brothers and sisters. May that tribe increase, Lord. May the word go forth in power and in truth. And Father, we entrust BCC to you as we have all this time, Lord. Father, we're going to be talking about vision and transition this morning. I just ask, Father, that you fill me afresh. From the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, I ask, Lord, that you would touch the coal to my lips as the words, Father, that need to be shared this morning are not from me. Lord, we need to hear from you. Vision is your heart, Lord. It is what you have laid before us as a church, as a body of believers. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would be glorified mightily now as we share in what you have before us. And Father, may our hearts be prepared through this time for us to come to the Lord's table. Father, may we come with hearts of thanksgiving. May we come with hearts that are surrendered to you. And so, Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is certainly an interesting time for us as a church. Many have referred to this time as a time of transition. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. What makes this a time of transition? So it got me wondering and thinking even more, are we ever not in a state of transition? Isn't transition just a part of our lives? From the very beginning of our lives in our mother's wombs, we have been in constant state of transitions from wound to birth, birth to crawling, crawling to toddler to walking, and then going to school kindergarten to first, second, and then third grade, from baby teeth to adult teeth, from addition to subtraction to algebra. Well, I didn't transition beyond that, so won't go there. 
Our life is certainly full of transitions. So many, in fact, that we hardly recognize them as transitions at all. So it got me thinking, why are some transitions more difficult than others? I believe that the reason that some of these transitions are easier, it has to do with whether or not we see that transition as necessary to attain a goal. I want to say that again. The reason that some transitions are easier than others has to do with whether or not we see the transition as necessary to attain a goal. In other words, if we have a vision of where we are going, the transition or the changes that are necessary to get us there are much easier to handle. The key to transitions in our lives is not to be driven by the transition itself, but to be driven by a goal or a vision. I believe that if we are men and women of vision, then we will expect and even embrace transitions as they are necessary components of bringing us closer to the reality of that vision. Now, before we go off into la-la land, and I'm talking about some self-help seminar here, we need to understand that our goals, the vision, it doesn't come from us. Tim, can you put up the scripture? Proverbs 29:18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. In the 1995 movie, The American President, Tim, can you put that picture up? Michael J. Fox's character is an aide to the president who is played by Michael Douglas. Michael J. Fox's character is speaking about people's desire for leadership and a vision, and he says to the president in this heated argument, in the absence of genuine vision, they will listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage, and when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. The president's response is heartbreaking. People don't drink the sand because they're thirsty. They drink it because they don't know the difference. So let me ask you, do you know the difference? Are you sure that you're not drinking the sand? How do you know that it isn't a mirage? Well, I want to go back and look at the whole verse of Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The second half of this verse is incredibly significant. It tells us that vision in and of itself is not enough. People don't just perish for the lack of vision. They perish for the lack of where that vision comes from. But he that keeps the law, the law, the word of God, the absolute truth, that's the only place that a vision that doesn't lead to destruction must come from. The Christian Standard Bible translates it, translates it this way, without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instructions will be happy. The source of our vision is not within ourselves. It is not conjured up through positive thinking or by some intellectual effort or new idea. It can only come from the Word of God. Now, I don't wish to get political here, but can we not see the nature of just how crazy and mixed up this world is becoming? Why is that? This country, really this world, is increasingly trying to establish a vision that is contrary to the Word of God. People are running wild. People are increasingly trying to, in their own words, throw off the shackles of adherence to morally based in the absolute truth of the Bible. 
even more sad and terrifying to me is that a large portion of the church is going along with it. Churches who are more interested in seeming relevant to a culture destined for destruction than they are for proclaiming the holiness, the righteousness, and the judgment of God and for the forgiveness of sins that can only be brought by the precious blood of Christ. In John 14, we read these words, If you love me, you obey what I command. Holiness isn't about how many hours we pray or verses we can quote. It's about loving Jesus more than the world so that we can turn from the pleasures of this world to follow Christ. Every day that we resist the pull of the world to obey Christ, we are walking in holiness. Instead, far too many churches, far too many people who call themselves Christians are abandoning holiness, replacing it with with what they deem affirmation or an affirming church. How about we affirm this? How about we affirm that God is a God who calls us to flee from sin, turn from our wickedness, surrender our selfish ambitions, humble ourselves, and come and follow him? I know that there are a lot of preachers out there. There are tons of books and all sorts of information on YouTube and other platforms. For far too many of them, they're preaching their books. These productions and videos are a way for them to become famous and wealthy. But they do so by denying the very heart of Christianity, the good news of the gospel of Christ. They replace it with a version of Christianity, a secular worldview repackaged with a thin veneer of some Bible verses, mostly taken out of context, and they call it Christian. Church, don't fall for them. It's a trap of Satan meant to distract you from the truth and to get you ensnarled in the world. You need to be discerning and wise and have your foundation in the Word, not in the world. That's why I want to bring to your attention the work of Albert Moeller. Tim, can you put up his picture? Albert Moeller is president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a man who presents news and events from a Christian worldview on his podcast called The Briefing. I commend it to your attention and highly suggest that you download his app or go to his website and listen to his 20 to 25 minute presentation each morning. It will make you uncomfortable as he is often reviewing difficult and challenging topics as he does an analysis of what's happening around us, and how we as Christians should be seeing what is happening through the lens of the Word of God. And that's really the point. We need to be seeing what's happening around us through the lens of the Word, through the lens of that Word made flesh, Jesus. This is why Bethlehem Community Church's vision is simple, to know Jesus and to make Him known. This is not just some church mantra, mumbo-jumbo. We're talking about the real Jesus. Well, you can say, Jeff, how can you make that claim? How do you know the real Jesus? Well, thanks for asking. You did ask, right? The vision of our church has its origins, its foundation, in our statement of faith. Statement of faith can be found on our website. We've got these handy-dandy little... uh, written out versions on the welcome desk. And I'm going to read to you what he starts off in the preamble. As a body of God's believing children, the faith of this congregation is in God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, the Old and New Testaments. 
The statement of faith does not in any way replace Holy Scripture or exhaust the extent of our beliefs. The Bible itself is the inspired and infallible Word of God and is the sole and final source of all that we believe. Our statement of faith continues on. In the very first section of our statement of faith deals with the Bible. And here's what that statement of faith reads. Number one, we believe that the Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, was given by divine inspiration as the complete and divine revelation of God to mankind in the very Word of God. Two, we believe that scriptures are inerrant, infallible, God-breathed, and are the final authority for faith and life. And three, and perhaps most importantly, we believe the Scriptures shall be interpreted according to the normal, grammatical, historical, literal, and contextual meaning. Incredibly important. So we're talking about our knowledge of Jesus. The Jesus that we are talking about is the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture. We believe that He said what He said, and we believe that He meant what He meant. We aren't in the business of trying to find the loophole that makes the uncomfortable things that Jesus said less uncomfortable. We don't start ripping out pages that we don't like. We don't take Scripture and justify our rebellion against it by saying that somehow it doesn't apply to us in our time, that somehow we have progressed past what Scripture clearly teaches. We do, however, recognize that we don't have all the answers, that we are joined together in our pursuit to become more like Christ. That's the whole point, to know Jesus, to know him personally and intimately. But this is not an intellectual pursuit. It's a pursuit of passion, of love, of commitment, and of trust. We pursue to know him because we are commanded to love him. Tim, Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is here. We're called into a relationship of love with Jesus and one another. But this isn't the feel-good, warm, and fuzzy emotional love. This is the love that placed Jesus on the cross. It's a love of sacrifice and serving, of humility and truly wanting the best for each other. We are a church that knows Jesus because we seek intimate relationship with him and with one another. This is why when somebody comes here for the first time, we embrace them, we reach out to them, we draw them in, not because we're trying to corral them in, but because we know that we experience a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus when we open our hearts, our lives, and our homes to one another. This isn't about church building. It's about kingdom building. If you're here for a season, great. Let's love on one another. Here for the long haul, great. Let's love on one another. In all things, we are seeking Jesus. His word, his truth, his purpose, his vision. We were never meant to walk this life alone. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Why? Because he knew that when one is weak, 
the other tarries with them. When one stumbles, you're there to pick them up. Remember that in order to love God, as Jesus is calling us to, we must love one another. Jesus tells us this in John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, your love for one another. The world will know that you are my disciples. Mahatma Gandhi famously once said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd actually be one. Now, the context of this quote is something he believed in. He said, quote, a virtue achieves its potential only in its application, and it ceases to have any use if it serves no purpose in daily life. I want to just read that again. A virtue achieves its potential only in its application, and it ceases to have use if it serves no purpose in daily life. So for Gandhi, it was an imperative that spiritual truths are lived in one's daily life. That's the call to us as a church, to live out the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, not a, a truth, a life, a way, but the way, the truth, the life. Do we live like we truly believe that? Do we live to know him, to know him through his word, to know him by loving him and loving one another? Now, there's another half of the vision we have here at BCC, to make him, and that is Jesus, known. What does it mean to make him known? Why should we do that? Well, fortunately, Jesus gives us the answer in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. I like to refer to it as the Great Commandment Part 2. As a commission, you think that it may be optional. Maybe it's not something that we are all called to do. After all, Jesus said here that it requires baptizing and teaching. Clearly, that must mean that this is meant for the work of the church, not for me individually. Thanks for playing. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a command Rather than a great commandment and a great commission, maybe it's easier just to think of the call of all followers as just simply love God, love others, and make disciples. It's one call. In case you're still unsure, we have these words in Acts 1.8. Tim, can you put them up? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive, all of you, all those who are saved by the name of Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit. And what is the outcome of receiving the Holy Spirit? We will become witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. That is our homes. In Judea, 
that is our neighborhoods. In Samaria, that is our places of work. And to the ends of the earth, do I need to translate that one? (laughs) We are to bring Jesus wherever we go. And we are to be his witnesses wherever he sends us. And we are to share the gospel with a hurting, mixed up, dark, and scary world. You and me. We all have this call upon our lives. This isn't the responsibility of the church. The church has gotten it wrong for far too long. Jesus said, go and make, not come and listen. And I want to apologize to you. And if in any way this church has allowed you to abdicate the call upon your life by accepting the responsibility to be the ones to witness for you, this needs to start in our homes. We need to make Jesus known in our homes before anything else. Parents, it is not the church's responsibility to disciple your children. It's yours. It's our responsibility to disciple you and to walk with you as a community in helping to raise your children to walk in Christ. We have failed as a church for far too long in mentoring parents and raising generations of Christ followers. I want to say I'm sorry. In the coming weeks, we will be presenting a new vision for family and youth discipleship focusing on mentorship and generational engagement. When we do a baby dedication here at BCC, we ask the parents if they're committed to be an example of Christ as they commit to raising their son or their daughter to know Christ and to walk with him. We also ask the congregation if they're willing to step up and help them in this endeavor. And we do this all together as we all say, I will. While the time is coming, church, when we will ask you to put those yeses into action, you want a really practical way to make Jesus known? Mentor one of these children in our congregation. Or mentor a younger couple. You don't have to be perfect. Somewhere along the line, we have come to this place that demeans people as not being qualified to make a difference in somebody's lives. You don't have enough training. You aren't smart enough. Leave it to the professionals. It's what's happening all over the country in our schools, in our medical fields, and even in our courts. Parents aren't qualified to make decisions for their children any longer. So if they want birth control, parents don't need to be involved. Claim you're a different sex, parent, parents can't object lest their kids are taken away. But we aren't called to behave the way the world behaves. We don't have to follow the same rules. As a matter of fact, when we try to follow those same rules, we get castigated. But so often we feel intimidated and unsure of ourselves, ill-equipped to make a biblical argument or just plain afraid. But hang on. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What do we receive? Power. What do we receive? Power. power. Yes. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, 
but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. I want to encourage each one of you, if you are born again, you have the power within you to accomplish all that God has presented before you. The best way to make Jesus known is to live our lives out of the freedom and power and mercy and grace that he has given us through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. To know Jesus and to make him known. To know Jesus intimately through relationship with him and with one another. And to make him known through intentional engagement with a hurting world as the power of Christ directs you. That's our vision. That's why we exist. That's what directs our paths and informs our decisions. It's also what will sustain us through this transition that we are in because we know that this transition is part of what God is doing here amongst us to bring great glory to himself and blessings to his children.